Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Speakers. Southwestern Speakers is comprised of top producing thought leaders, authors, and experts who deliver dynamic presentations that shift the hearts and minds of audiences worldwide. Our team of experienced agents can guide you to find the right speaker for your annual conferences, meetings, and events, providing outstanding service from start to finish. Southwestern Speakers goes above and beyond to elevate your event and offers additional programs to extend the impact of our speaker's presentation long after they have left the stage. We are delighted today to have as our guest on the Action Catalyst, Lee McCroskey. Lee lives near Nashville, Tennessee, and he and I have been acquainted for more than 40 years. Lee was a longtime major contributor to the Southwestern Advantage program, both as a student, then as a student leader, then a sales leader, ultimately director of marketing. And he's always been driven by his ability that he ultimately was able to acknowledge to really help and influence people for the right reasons. And that has characterized his entire career. He's known as one of the, the great speakers in America because of his ability to use humor and at the same time, true emotion to help people make realizations about their lives and where they're going. He's had numerous accomplishments in the business field, has helped many clients on the outside, and as a member of Southwestern Speakers, will be helping many more. He uh, is an active teacher at a number of local colleges, doing coursework anywhere from leadership to literature. He and his wife, Deb, have been married a very long time, have three amazing children. She's a physician involved with the Vanderbilt Clinics here in Middle Tennessee, and it's just delightful to have him here when we can hear his perspectives on coping with the world as it is around us. And so we're going to welcome now Lee McCroskey. So welcome to the Action Catalyst. Very, very excited to have my old friend and colleague Lee McCroskey here. Lee, welcome. Great to have you as a guest. Good to be here. As far as I can recall, you and I met in about 1982. You were one of the superstars within Southwestern Advantage way back then. And what I was most impressed with is everybody was standing up saying they're majoring in marketing and in business. And you'd said things like, I'm studying meteorology and tensor calculus. But I know that you actually have a master's degree in English from KU. That's true. And you, you grew up in a household of academics and very brilliant people. I wonder if you could maybe just take a moment and go through what you consider the major pivot points from growing up in Wichita, Kansas, to your position of, of influence and helping people really cope with whatever life throws at them. Well, I was born in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and now let's not go that far back. I was, uh, yeah, I grew up in Wichita, went to KU, did study astronomy and meteorology, and then I hit plasma physics and uh, switched violently to English. And so, uh, as you know, so I had a chance to teach in grad school and uh, one of my main pivot points, you know, if I think about pivot points, in life was my first big decision not to be a lifeguard again. I had, uh, I always told people I was 
studying astronomy and meteorology and English, but I was minoring in lifeguarding because that's what I always did in the summertime. And uh, I heard about in the, during finals week, a guy called me and said, uh, you know, have you, you have your summer job lined up? And I said, no, he invited me up to an interview with uh, Southwestern Advantage. And I sat and listened to it. And I remember filling out the paperwork at the, I was in the last interview of the entire season as we were wrapping up and heading up, people were going home for summer, the summer. And I was filling out the paperwork and I said, by the way, when does this program start? And he, he was like, uh, Saturday. <laughs> I was like, this Saturday? <laughs> so uh, it was kind of a whirlwind thing getting into uh, Southwestern Advantage. But that was a big change for me, as you know. I mean, the company's impacted so many people. It was a huge shift in my attitude. It was a big uh, deep dive into business, certainly selling, dealing with people. So that was, uh, I'm not sure where I would be if I hadn't done Southwestern Advantage for, for years. It was kind of, then another pivot point, I suppose I should mention is once I got out there, got through the training, was about two weeks in, uh, the decision not to quit was kind of a big was kind of a big pivot point. People know it. Some some of the alums know it as the dirt pile story, where I sat on a dirt pile and wept like a baby because I was doing something that I felt like I didn't know how to do. I wasn't that great at it. I felt like I was failing, and I was sort of mildly entertaining the notion of quitting, which one of my roommates had done previously. So that's a whole story in and of itself. But. Um, you know, over the arc of my life, you know, I, I got to thinking, why didn't I quit? Why was that important? And um, I remember even when I was swimming, I've been a competitive swimmer forever. And on our kickboards with the Wichita Swim Club, our coach had spray painted in stencil positive affirmations on our kickboards. So as we were like little 12-year-olds, 10-year-olds kicking, you know, I was going up and down the pool. I was reading winners never quit. It was right in front of me. And then another big <laughs> board was quitters never win, stuff like that. So anyway, that was kind of important that I didn't quit. Um, and I kind of stuck with it. So it was a challenging summer. It ended up going great. And so I decided uh, through a series of decisions to stick around the company for 36 years. <laughs> a small extra span. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that was kind of a big deal. Um, so that's kind of, that's sort of as it relates to you and us being friends and working together forever and ever. Uh, mm -hmm. That's some of the main pivot points. Now, I should say too, when I left Southwestern, that was an interesting pivot. Mm -hmm. Because at 30 you know, after doing this, I mean, I really just had one, besides lifeguarding, one job my whole life. And of course, I was doing different things. I wasn't selling books for 36 years, but I kind of felt like Tom Petty. I was free falling. After I departed, <laughs> it was like, you know what? Who am I? Because I always associated myself with college students and what I did and trying to impact people in that way. So it was kind of an identity crisis a little bit. So that was kind of a, and you know what? Recently 
uh, I was on Twitter, which I don't spend a lot of time on, thankfully, but I did run across one tweet which really spoke to me and it related to that time when I left Southwestern and I was trying to figure out, you know, I'd lost my moorings in terms of identity. So Henry Nguyen, I don't know if you've heard of him, Dan, <laughs> famous priest, philosopher, uh, very impactful. But he, someone had lifted, he had, he had passed, I think, 96. But someone had lifted one of his, uh, some of his writings and put them on Twitter. And so I thought this was really helpful. I wanted to share a couple of them real quick. Yeah, please. You know, it was uh, really five thoughts and what he calls five lies that we believe about our identity. And this was super hmm. true for me. So if there's a little nugget here and there that I share. This is, this is a nugget. If you're running or trying to take notes, that would be flattering to me. But anyway, this is what he said. He said, number one, this is the first lie. I am what I have. I am what I have. I mean, one of the challenges with what's going on in America up to the, the big pandemic was just rampant, I think, consumerism. I mean, we were, I mean, I look around and I see people that have so much stuff that they have, well, you know, the whole storage unit phenomenon that's mm -hmm. going on. The people that I've got a neighbor with storage units in his driveway and these are not small houses, but he can't fit all of his stuff in his home. So he had to buy a storage unit. So that kind of, hearkened me back to, you know, what, what a lot of people are about and how they define their identity by what they have. I remember Craig Soder used to teach, you know, there were three levels of what I would call consumerism. I got to have more. I got to have better. I got to have different, you know, I got to have more than everybody else. If I got as much as everybody else, I got to have better stuff. If I got better stuff, then I got to really do the twist and have different stuff. So anyway, that's the first lie. I am what I have. It's kind of important. Second lie Very. is I am what I do. And this is the one that, that kind of impacted me when I left after 36 years. That lie is I am what I do. You know, when you meet somebody for the first time at a party, they say, oh, well, hi, nice to meet you. What do you do? You know, and we're human beings. We're not human doings, but that's, the, that's a great icebreaker. But that lie says that, you know, we're all striving for a job, a position, a title. Um, and so when I left Southwestern, it was like, what, what am I doing? You know, where are my gifts? Where should I go? How should I still contribute, even though I'm not in that same arena? So that's, a, that's another big lie. Besides what I have, I am what I do. And you're not. I believe what Newman said. Third, he said... I, I am what other people think of me. So this plays into, I mean, I am not an, ex I mean, there's some great things that happen on social media, but we buy into the lie that popularity or having a certain number of followers. I know the number one Gen Z uh, title to aspire to is to be an influencer. You know, what do you want to, I want to be an influencer. So getting approval from others or acceptance from others. Um, you know, that's just what, 
what other people think of me is not where I should draw my identity from. So I, I like that. And these, are, you know, he said two others. I just want to share them. And these you have to think about a little bit. So think. He said, I'm, I am nothing more than my worst moment. I'm nothing mm-hmm. more than my worst moment. Now, we've all, I have had tons of moments and periods in my life where, that I would like to redo. I've, I've ruined relationships by something I've done or crappy behavior or saying the wrong word or trying to be cute. I mean, it's really damaged people's feelings and relationships. But, you know, you can't reflect on that and, and, and think that that's who you are. But a lot of people do, you know, if you think about huge mistakes you've made in your life, I've made some huge ones, you know, in my marriage. Uh, certainly, Dan, you know, in working together as long as we had, mm. I said and did dumb stuff. But And I think all of us do that. But I think the dark side is kind of like an insurance adjuster. If you remember in the old days before you could take pictures, you know, if you wrecked your car, you know, you had to call in the old days an insurance adjuster. What an insurance adjuster would do is come out and take pictures of your wreck from all angles and then send those into the insurance company and do an estimate. Now you can just do it on your phone. You take a picture and send it in. But I think the dark side works off this lie and they're like insurance adjusters. So if, if I'm feeling good about myself, like, yeah, I'm confident. My life's good. Things are going great. Then the dark side comes back and says, oh, you remember this? Whoosh, pulls out the photos of me doing or saying or acting crappily. And I was like, oh, you know. And so I think about my, I'm reminded of my worst moment. And I'm no better than that. Or if you're, you know, you just had a victory in your life and suddenly he's like, oh, check out this eight by 10 screw up. You remember this? Insurance adjuster. So we're bigger than any one moment. So that's something that's good to keep in mind. And the last thought. Hey, can so it, good. I want to hear the fifth one. Um, I might save it and just, no, I'll tell you. Uh, it's kind of the inversion of that. I'm nothing, nothing less than my best moment. I'm nothing less. This is a lie. I'm nothing less than my best moment. So this, again, mm. my mind's always going back to classic rock. This is like Jethro Tull living in the past. You know, a lot of times we'll build our identity on our successes and our greatest moments. Like, you know, you're only as good as your last record and that's it. But you're always going to be eclipsed by someone who does it better than you, you know? And I was thinking, what's a good application of this? And I remembered I used to have the Missouri Valley record in the one and 200 meter freestyle, the Missouri Valley record for two weeks, (laughs) that was it. So in swimming, that was kind of, I had peaked and I had some some notoriety for a whole two weeks. So uh, anyway, but those lies are kind of, you gotta remember those are lies. You're not what you have, you're not what you do, you're not what other people think of you. You're more than all that. And you gotta remember your best and worst moments and keep those in perspective. So anything that's outside of you, um, or anyone 
anyone who's outside of you cannot define who you are. I think only God can, can do that for you. So anyway, my identity is not in what I do or not in what I did or not in what I'm going to do or not in what people think about me. It's basically my identity is in Christ. That's who it, that's what's important. So mm-hmm. I'd rather have God consider me well than lots of other people or I would, you know, more than hundreds of followers. Which I don't yes, or, or your pod full of stuff in the driveway as it applauds for you. Yeah, I got to get that emptied. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Lee, those are those are tremendous insights, and and not at all surprising because you've always been a reader, you've always been a studier, you've been a man of prayer for most of your life, and to to hear that is is totally totally encouraging because in the moment we're in the pandemic. A lot of the things people have and a lot of things that they do have been changed, have been stripped away, yeah. uh, not voluntarily. They're just not there anymore. Yeah. And uh, some people are hitting what uh, I guess it was Thoreau called quiet desperation and yeah. uh, trying to figure out how to get beyond that. It's also some lyrics in a song by Bread. St. <laughs> Francis of Assisi said this. I'm just chock full of good quotes. I am who I am in the sight of God, nothing more, nothing less. So yeah, it's, it's a, it's a strange time. I'm tiring of certain terms that we hear, uh, which we don't have to get into, but in terms of, you know, when you're talking about losing income, 40 million people, they went my job or certainly losing health or losing loved ones. Um, I, I heard someone say that, we're not, you, you hear people say, uh, we're all in the same boat. That is also a lie. We are mm-hmm. not in the same boat. We're in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. I mean, thank, I mean, I would consider myself during the quarantine and the lo- and whatever lockdown we had here in Tennessee, I was probably on some sort of yacht. You know, mm-hmm. some people are in a rowboat. Some people are in a dinghy. Some people are hanging on to a piece of driftwood. So, you know, you've got to have ways to cope. And um, I always prefer pointing people to God rather than quick, check your portfolio. It doesn't offer yeah. a lot of solace. Well, I think in some ways this goes back to your dirt pile experience when you were maybe 19 or 20 years old and, and you were thinking hard about quitting and, and you didn't. Um, yeah. But why, why is it so easy for people to, to quit? Because there's lots of people right now that want to quit. They want to just give up and dig a hole in the backyard, stick their head in it. You know, what, what's, what encouragement could you share with us, Lee, on that? Well, yeah, I, mean, I, I would just say it's all a question of perspective. Um, and I think in, in, in the situation that people are in now, it's a great thing to one coping strategy strategy would be to practice gratitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and one way I practice gratitude is I just ask the question compared to what, you know, if, if I think to myself, my life's hard or my life is static or my life right now is stagnant, then I need to be grateful. How do I do that? Well, I think, well, my life is bad compared to whose. And I, you know, there's a guy I go to church with whose name is Leonard great guy from the Republic of Congo. He, and he wouldn't mind me sharing the story, but he had polio as a child. So he wears leg braces. So he has to get around 
on braces. His, he came to America and because of um, challenges, uh, getting the rest of his family over here with immigration, his wife and young children are back home in Congo. Mm-hmm. And he's just, he's the happiest guy you could meet. He doesn't have tons of money, but we're coming around him and helping him. And, you know, and his wife, we just raised some money so that she could move from the village she was in into a city that was more safe because they had militia groups coming through with machetes. You've heard about it and hacking people and mm-hmm. wreaking havoc and locking people's refrigerators so they couldn't get to their own food. Just a terrible situation. So when I listen to Leonard share his story, I'm just like, I, I have a good life, you know? Yeah. So the, the question compared to what is sometimes really good to regain perspective. And the other thing it makes me think about is we always compare our insides to other people's outsides. So I look at people and I think, wow, if I could just be more like her, or if I just had the family life he's got, or if I could live with that career or whatever, you know, we're always doing that. We're comparing the kind of, we know the junk inside of us and we compare that to the nice shiny exteriors that people put in the outside, that facade. But the exciting thing is I know everyone is screwed up because we live in a broken world. So, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So I always look at people and I think, and I start thinking, wow, wish I had some more of what he, I think, no, they're damaged goods, just like me. So (laughs) again, I'm like forced to turn to God for assistance. Well, because when we envy what someone else has or how they seem to be, we can't be selective and say, well, I'll choose that one thing and wish I had it. Because if we want to be that person, we got to get all of it. Their messes, their wins, their failures. We have to get all of it. We can't do it all a cart. Yeah. So figuring ourselves out is, uh, is so key. I read a good book because I was all about John Maxwell for a few years and got certified with his training. But I read a book called uh, Overcoming the Dark Side of Leadership mm. recently, which is, is it interesting. It's written by a couple of Christian authors, but it talks about the thing that causes you to be good at what you do. It's like a sword. It's got two edges. There's one side that drives you, but there's also a dark side or a shadow side or a side that you know, will derail any leader as they grow in power or influence or in terms of wealth, that that it twists them. So uh, great leaders, you know, again, surround themselves with the right people, uh, turn to God for help versus just, you know, we've all seen folks that just with the, with accruing power or or, uh, title, they became kind of weird. And they took advantage of people. So that's a good book, I think, to uh, try to combat that. Overcoming the dark side. Yeah. Yeah. They covered case studies. You know, they said one thing that uh, Billy Graham did really well is he watched other ministries go down in flames, you know, some years ago. Uh, And he surrounded, he got his team around him and said, we are going to set up a system and we're going to pray for each other. We're going to help each other. We're going to encourage each other so that we stay on track and we can have maximum impact. And, and he's one of the shining lights versus other people that we know in the news who didn't fare so well. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's interesting that the two, two edged sword in some ways, it's like having, 
amazing persuasive skills. It can be used to inspire people to be all they can be. It can also be used to manipulate people in a bad direction. Absolutely. And you know, so it's all boils down to motive. Yeah. Where's your heart? I mean, that, mm -hmm. that was applied to me. I took pride in the fact that I was so persuasive as a young salesperson and sales manager. But I remember one of the people I worked with used the word manipulative. And it was like fingers on a chalkboard. I was like, oh, but it was so true. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we got to keep things in balance. Yeah, got to got to boil it back down to motive. Yeah. Wow. Well, so much of what you have achieved has been to give people a picture and a vision for their own lives. You've continued to do that. And by the way, our listeners should know that one of the things that's most important for me in having this presentation is I'm the one that had to tell you your time at Southwestern was over. It was uh, arguably on the top two or three most difficult things I've ever had to do because it had to do with a restructuring and elimination of positions. It was simply hard. Mm. And for you to be able to, to be here with me and to, to reflect on some of the things that helped you redefine and repurpose is, um, it's very affirmingly, very affirming, not surprising in some ways, but extremely affirming. Yeah. Well, I remember, uh, I took, took my girls, one of them, uh, to Williamsburg, Virginia, and we were watching how a silversmith worked. You know, if you've ever visited there in the colonial, they've got it all set up where you can see how they used to tan hides and do different things. And one guy was doing silversmithing and they would take silver and heat it in a crucible, a kiln to the point where all the dross, the impurities came to the surface. And then he would take an instrument and knock the dross off the top of the ladle and then put it back in the fire and would let mm. it superheat again and all the impurities would come to the surface and he'd clean. And that's how he purified silver. And a lot of the experiences that we've had, including, you know, that difficult time for us, that was sort of purifying, uh, you know, God's, God's not surprised by anything. It didn't shock him that it was time for me to move on from Southwestern or it wasn't, the pandemic is not shocking to him. He's quite aware of what's going on. So I think it's a time you can either kind of, look at it and say, woe is me. You know, my life is depressing and times are crazy. Or you can say, you know what, what do we do with this? How can we, mm -hmm. how is this refining me like the dross coming out of the silver to make me a better person as we go through this? So, wow. You know, it's amazing, Lee, today's proverb, and there's 31 chapters of Proverbs. So I try to read one for each day of the month that is suitable includes the verse, uh, the furnace for silver, but people are tested by the praise they receive. Mm. So the furnace burns off those impurities. Now, how can we stand up to the praise we receive nice. and not, not buy all of our press releases? Yeah. And by the same token, we can't buy all of our worst critics either, which goes back to Peter Nguyen's quotes that you were sharing a moment ago. That's right. Wow. How, how, uh, What's the right what's the right word for that, Dan? You were reading Proverbs and it tied in and we didn't even coordinate. We, well, there's a master coordinator at work. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll, buy that. <laughs> I'll buy that. Wow. So you mentioned one of your girls. I know you've got three adult children. Yep. Very different personality types, not surprising. You're married to a physician. Yeah, she's um, director of medicine for all the Vanderbilt walk-in clinics. So I have I'm well aware of what's going on here locally. Mm -hmm. 
anyway. We, you posted that for the first three weeks, uh, she barely sat down, let alone stopped to rest. Yeah. And uh, so much to coordinate and set up and make all that work. Yeah. I was literally bringing her food because she had her headset on and her laptop open and she was calling and moving docs and nurses to different clinics. And they were, you know, it was a lot of coordination, but it was a, a different problem now. Yeah. So, so I guess my, my question is with, with your kids that are all adults, I guess Katie must be 25. Something four. like that. Yeah. Um, and then Luke must be 35. He's 30. 30. Okay. Yeah. So what, what can parents do to encourage their kids when they feel overwhelmed, scared, uh, future opportunities have been ripped away, et cetera. Any, any general tips there? I know you've been very involved as a parent and you study this. Yeah. I, I would just, uh, I mean, I would just be a counterbalance to what they get on social media and the news. I mean, my biggest thing I tell, tell my kids really don't just sit and watch the news. That's probably the worst thing you can do because they're paid to have eyeballs on the screen and the way they get that is through controversy. So, mm. and you can't believe everything that you see on, you know, they're not on Facebook anymore, but Instagram or what TikTok, you know, so I don't, I don't think I I can't give you like here or here are five things you can do to raise successful children. I've just tried as we, as they grew up to be with them, to spend time with them. I never had a time when it was work versus family life. I always tried to include them on trips and things like that. So if I showed them balance, and I tried to lead by example, that was much more important than, you know, if I try it now, like, hey, Kelsey, I've got an article that I think will really help you. She's like, dad, come on. So they're in the stage where I, I try to make myself available, uh, but I don't try to coach much anymore. It just doesn't work. Right. So. Right. But when you have the right foundation, then you hope they'll, they'll come back when they need to. Exactly. And, and the door's wide open, which is so cool. Well, well put. I should have asked you that question. That was, <laughs> that was exactly right. Well, and I, and I hope our listeners that are, are homebound and, and have been frustrated by that can do what you said a minute ago. Take the perspective yeah. that if you've had kids, this has been a bonding, forced bonding, deep bonding time. Yeah. Uh, we have a 10-month-old granddaughter now. Mm. And my son has been home with her since from the time she was born and to have that connection with your, your firstborn, yeah. uh, it wouldn't happen under normal times. Yeah. So that's a blessing. So, yeah. And some, I just had a party. We opened up our pool, a bunch of families with little kids, which I'm not used to anymore, moved in around us, all around us. So we hear little squealing young ones. So I just invited them over on Memorial. They'd all come swim at our house. So I'm, you know, trying to use the pool as a ministry area, but yeah, uh, it's a blessing and a curse. My, my neighbor said, <laughs> yeah, this has been really good. And now I'm going crazy, <laughs> but, uh, which, which is just one more quick point. I, I thought you've really got to pay attention, pay attention to the words you pick because I hear, hear so many people describing their lives. Um, like my life's so crazy. Oh, it's a crazy day. Things are so crazy now. And I would just, words have power. And I would say, maybe pick a different, well, this is right out of Tony Robbins playbook on watching your words. But instead mm -hmm. of saying crazy, just say my life is really active right now. 
And that just takes, I mean, it's kind of silly, but it takes the sting out of it. Or if you, uh, I remember when we were talking to salespeople on Sundays and people would sit down with me for a conference and say, I'm just so pissed off. And I would say, okay, hold it. Let's, that's a strong word. Why don't we just say you're tinkled? <laughs> and they would kind of laugh and it would just, you know, kind of change their state. Some people right now feel really lost. I'm just lost. Well, instead of telling yourself you're lost, because no one likes the feeling of being lost, describe it as searching. Mm -hmm. I'm just, I'm searching right now. Well, that's kind of a positive. And it's not all just Pollyanna word choice, but I would really concentrate on asking how questions rather than why questions. How questions like, you know, why questions are like, why is this happening to me? Why is, why did I lose my job? Why am I, is my husband, you know, more angry than usual around the house? Okay. There's a, there's a place for that, but how questions are much better. How can I turn this around? How can I use this time to improve myself? How can I uh, spend time with my kids? I'll never have like this again. You know, my, mm two of my daughters are here at home right now. And I'm like, this is like, I'm considering it Christmas because I will not see them like this again. Mm -hmm. So it's a blessing. So true. It depends on how you look at it. Just be careful. Your descriptors. That's, mm. that's pretty important. Well, the phrase I am lost is a state of being. I am searching is a state of acting and it gets you into motion and do something a little different. Nice. So it's uh that's cool. I like um, Lee, do you have any, uh, any sort of mental or spiritual anchors or physical anchors that, that you try to turn to when that storm gets really whipping up, maybe a morning routine yeah. that you practice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Share that with us. I do. Uh, here's what I do. Uh, I had, I get out my iPad and I've shared this. There's some friends that I've been in touch with now and I have an app called you version. That's one word, the you version Bible. Hmm. And so every day, there's a little regiment you can sign up for a reading plan. So some people say, well, I try to read my Bible every day. No, I really do read my Bible every day. I'm kind of freakish about that. So I'll get up and the first thing I'll do is maybe put on my headphones. As I'm coming around, I'll listen to a Tim Keller podcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tim Keller is brilliant. And to hear him talk for 30 minutes and just hear one of his sermons, about life. He's got a great series of podcasts right now. And so I'll read my version Bible. Uh, I'll listen to an, uh, there's an, an app called abide. It's a meditation. So I'll mm -hmm. punch that and it's an audio recording where I can, you know, it just gives you time to relax and get centered for the day. And so that is part of my regimen too. So, and then I'm going to read sections of whatever reading plan I've got going. So that is, something that I don't deviate from. Um, mm -hmm. The other thing I'm doing too, just to, you know, keep my brain going since I'm, I'm not working at the same pace I used to is I'm, I'm taking courses from Hillsdale college, mm -hmm. just In finishing Michigan. a great one on Genesis overview of Genesis. And since I teach five courses at local colleges, I'm taking courses to help me stay fresh on those. Like I just took, uh, a course from the greatcourses.com on the writings of C.S. Lewis because I teach mm. a literature course on C.S. Lewis. So I've got a lot of C.S. Lewis in my head. So I'm reading some fiction and I'm also reading Bible, which is nonfiction. So right. that's fun and 
You still swimming? Yeah, and swimming the Masters. You know, I've been riding my bike. I mean, if I took off this coat and showed you how ripped I am right now, (laughs) everyone switch to audio only for a moment. (laughs) Okay, I've removed my shirt. No, but uh, I am staying in shape, even though for some they've opened the pool back last week, so I've gotten in and, and done some laps next to high school students who are three times as fast. Very discouraging. Uh, but the swim team, hopefully the master swim team will be back and we'll be back in the water as a team soon. That's my hope. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm still, and I, I'm doing that too. So we got mental, spiritual, physical, emotional, and with, with Deb, I mean, we've walked the dogs till their legs are just little stumps. So we spend a lot of time together over dog walks. Well, this is true. In fact, one of the serendipities of the whole thing is we have met almost all of our neighbors on the block, which for 20 years is like, well, I kind of know those people, but I couldn't name them. Exactly. And we've all been out and in front of each other's houses and chatting and even started getting together for a physical distancing wine event once a week. Yeah. Uh, And it's just been an unexpected blessing. That's true. Yeah. I hate social distancing, by the way, at least the term. So I would just change it to like, Appropriate footage. Okay. <laughs> I use I use physical distancing. Okay, well that's a because little less. <laughs> I I have been socially closer to distant relatives, aunts, uncles, people in nursing homes because yeah. of Zoom and other technologies than I ever was before. Absolutely, we're just physically distant. So yeah, uh, yeah we do. You know what we're doing now, which it, it, we are gathering. We play live trivia, and we usually would go to a. a bar or pub and play that with the family. But now it's online. We have there's Zoom trivia, which we played. And then we did a little extra twist. Kelsey, my daughter said, why don't we do a family trivia night? Mm. So we've submitted dozens of questions about the history of our families and little things that we may not know about our parents and kids. And and so we're going to play that sometime soon. And they said, our British, our British, my son-in-law, from England that they played that and had a great time. So that might be something you could think about if you have family that's separated is to come up with zoom trivia family edition. Yeah, I love it. Uh-huh. Lee, I can't believe how, how quick the time has gone, hmm. but, but in a way I can because you, your depth is, is greater than ever. Let me just put it that way. It always was, but I think you have plumbed new, new areas of understanding of empathy uh, true humility and uh, and greatness of your connection with God. Yeah. And I'm well, thank you. so delighted. I'm very proud of my humility. So thank <laughs> you. <laughs> no, it's, it's great to spend a few minutes with you too, Dan. I hope, you know, if people are listening, they have a thought that if I can impact somebody and point them in the right direction, uh, that's kind of what I'm about. So hopefully they'll hear some, they will have heard something that is useful. You have been doing that for a very, very long time, my friend, and you will continue to. I'm delighted you're part of Southwestern Speakers. Yeah. See you on the platform whenever audiences are again allowed to gather somewhere. Yes, yes. Good. So that would be great. All right. Well, thank you so, so much, everyone. It's been a pleasure to have Lee McCroskey with us here on the Action Catalyst. So lots of food for thought, lots of food for action, and we're just grateful. So let's keep the perspective and, and make it the best week we can. Amen. Carry on, Dan. Thank you. All right. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, 
Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.